0: Welcome to a couple of rad techs podcast where we bring you an inside look at the world of radiology from the unique perspective of a married couple of radiologic technologists. Together we have years of experience, exactly 30 years in the field, and we are here to demystify the science of medical imaging. Radiology is the unsung hero of the medical field, providing doctors with crucial images and information that help diagnose and treat illnesses. Join us as we explore the latest techniques, technologies, and innovations in radiology and discover the vital role we play in the healthcare industry. So come along for the ride as we share our passion for radiology as a married couple. Welcome. I am Shandria Singleton of Let's Chit Chat and Travel and Wellness. I am so excited again to bring you all another episode of our radiology edition. And you're going to be surprised because this time, no, I do not have a radiologic professional, but he is his own professional in his own right. And he has made a really big impact on the radiology field. So who is my guest today? Well, I'm going to let him tell you himself, but let me just tell you a little bit about who Tobias Gilk is and some background, and he's gonna tell you the rest. So originally he was trained as an architect and he got involved in MRI safety 20 years ago. Well, through his growth and understanding of the physical environment and MRI safety and standards, he was invited to serve on the ACR's MRI safety committee about 16 years ago. And there he realized there was so much more to his understanding and to the understanding of the community's professional understanding uh, that he has now been uh, co-author of three ACR MRI Safety Committee publications. He's going to tell you all about those. He even travels and does seminars in Dubai, you guys. So I want to welcome Mr. Tobias Gilk of Gilk Radiology Consultants. Welcome to our podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Twenty years, boy, it's making me sound old.
0: <laughs> I'm right there with you because I was surprised that I've been in the field for that long as well. I'm like I, th- I remember kindergarten. So yeah, I think it's all in how you feel, I right? Think
1: so yeah.
0: Well, we look good, so that's what we have to go by. We we look good, so <laughs> well,
1: you do. I don't know about me, but you know.
0: Well, we're both going there. So tell us, Mr. Gilk, tell yeah. us from 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 you. We want to hear from you. Who are you? what it is that you do, and how did you get into MRS safety?
1: Um, Well, I'll start with the last question. How did I get here? Um, A long series of unplanned left-hand turns in my career. Um, It's one of those things where, you know, follow your bliss um, kind of thing. Um, So I graduated with my master's in architecture in 1997, um, and almost immediately... Uh, the first first architecture job that i had um i started working for a local community hospital um and i the architecture firm i was working for essentially sort of gave me to the to the hospital and said here (laughs) do whatever you want with him um and very quickly i kind of fell in with uh radiology and i started designing a bunch of their radiology projects um and i I kind of fell in love with, with radiology, you know, largely in terms of facility planning and design and architecture and that kind of thing. Um, and within a few months, I was designing an MRI suite, uh, for the hospital. Um, and the, that project went really well during that project. Um, There's a skill that architects learn on the job. They don't teach you this in architecture school um, because architects are kind of generalists. You know, this month you may be working on a hospital project. Next month you may be doing an office building. The month after that, a church. And the month after that, you know, a sandwich shop. Um, And so architects really need to develop a set of skills that allow them to bounce from very different projects you know one to the next to the next which means and here's where the skill comes in you have to learn what you don't need to know about your client's business to be able to to kind of you know laser focus in on here are the things i need to do to produce a set of code compliant you know drawings that will get a building permit and that the builder can build without a whole bunch of changes so if i knew those things if i had those skills when i first started out and first was sort of thrown into radiology all of the stuff that i fell in love with about you know radiology and clinical services and the technology you know particularly around mri mri is The reason that you have all of these, you know, advanced physics stuff and, you know, people who historically we would have described as having the pocket protectors and having the pull out slide rules, you know, sort of running this industry is because... They're essentially magic, you know. The the what an MRI is capable of doing is, um, you know, so advanced from from sort of a, a physics standpoint um, that that to those of us who don't come from a physics background, you know, it real it looks like magic. So I had I known had I had the skills that that an architect who's been practicing for ten years has. I would never have sort of thrown myself in the deep end of of radiology and and MRI. I would never have discovered enough about it to just become completely entranced by it, um, and and I wouldn't have wound up coming down this path. So that was nineteen ninety seven. So what twenty? Here we are, twenty five years later, um, and I've I've essentially dedicated my entire professional career to um, radiology in general, um, and MRI in particular. Um, As you described, it started out with just sort of the physical environment, the bricks and mortar of of the, the facilities. But as I became... Sort of more and more interested and invested, um, I started trying to figure out well what are the economics of providing you know radiology care to patients and what's what what are reimbursements and you know what are challenges for billing? And then it was, you know, okay. what are all of the different modalities and how do they work? And why does this one require lead for the shielding and this one require copper foil for the shielding? You know, and then it became clinically and operationally what types of services are provided here as opposed to there, this modality as opposed to that modality. How does that change sort of the the physical environment um, and all of that kind of was a whirlwind swirling around an in interest that developed really quickly um, in MRI safety. And because I was working across radiology, across nuclear medicine, um, I became really familiar with the amount of of codes and standards and requirements related to ionizing radiation, um, you know x-ray CT fluoro, nuke med, Um, and then when I was doing projects in MRI, they were like, hey, you know, do whatever you want, you know, I was like, wait a minute, how are there this many regulations, you know, on the ionizing radiation side, and this many, you know, on the MRI side, when, because I'd thrown myself in the deep end, um, you know, I was aware of, you know, projectile accidents, and burn accidents, and, you know, all of the things where, Patients and oftentimes caregivers um, can be put into jeopardy um, by, just by virtue of the fact of the way the MRI works. Why aren't there similar standards um, with respect to MRI safety? So that's, <clears throat> to make a short story long, that's how I got into um, MRI safety. And, and it has been, as I say, probably the work of my professional life to date.
0: Well, that, I mean, I think it's so good because I, I think you're kind of, I think you're perfect for it because you come from an architectural, back, architectural background. Um, I know for me, going into MRI, I think I told you this when we were talking, I went through radiology school at Emory University, did, you know, worked in radiology, CT for a long time, ionizing radiation. Yeah, we we know all the dangers and the safety precautions. But when I went into MRI, the first thing I was just told, five line. That line That was the most safety. And there was no school when I went to MRIs went into MRI. There was no schooling. Nobody was teaching it in school that I knew of. Um, and this was probably about 16, 17 years ago. So it was like just five lines. That's all I knew. And don't, and they didn't have the oxygen tanks. They have the colors on it that tell you if it's MRI safe. They really didn't have a lot of stickers for things that were MRI safe. You just didn't bring certain things back in the MRI department. So right. I understand, you know, how things used to be like you've seen them. But for new technologies coming into the field, and I think it's different that we because things are a little different, too, because everybody doesn't go through x-ray school who's an MRI tech. I don't know if it's good or bad, but it, I, you
1: know, I think it's bad
0: <laughs> I, 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 was gonna, yeah, I because I've worked with both types of te- types of techs, right. but I talk to the ones who went through x-ray school. Well,
1: and, and, and I'm not trying to say that, that techs who didn't go through x-ray school are bad techs. I'm just saying that we should, we should have a standard way of training people who yeah. we're putting, you know, behind the console of an MR machine. Um, and, and maybe there two, should be two or three or five different pathways to get there. But it shouldn't be, you know, hey, you want to work in MRI? You know, go ahead and sit down. That that should not be, you know, a, a, a standard pathway for, for training MR techs.
0: Yeah, there's, and I, I, t- I, would re- I agree, totally. Great, great, great point. I love how you cleared that up. But yeah, that is definitely how I feel. And, but talking to those who went through x-ray school, and understand the, the, the focus on radiation safety, ionizer radiation safety versus MRI safety, because there is a big difference. We've seen a lot of accidents, small and great. I've seen them with doctors who have forgotten to take you know, at one of the best hospitals where they have detectors before you walk in a door, everybody's winded down. Mistakes happen, uh, but the education was not there on MRI safety. So you, for new technologists coming into the field who are trained with the idea for two years or four years, radiation safety, ALARA, again, why in a synopsis, why is this so important and what things can they do to make sure before they start sitting down just to scan to really focus on MRI safety? Because it's such a blip right. in the medication. So
1: um, let me give a sort of a comparison, right? Um, if we have in diagnostics, I'm setting aside, you know, therapeutics for right now, but in a diagnostic setting, if we have a really, really bad day um, in terms of, you know, an accident and a patient gets overexposed, right? A really horrible overexposure means what to that patient? It probably means that they might have, you know, erythema, they might have sort of, you know, surface skin burns um, that probably like a bad sunburn will heal up in, you know, uh, a week or two. Um, it may mean that that patient has a low single digit additional lifetime risk of developing a cancer 20, 30, 40 years after that significant overexposure, right? And I I don't mean to downplay those as negative consequences, but a really bad day in MRI is something goes flying at the patient, you know, strikes the patient, you know, pins them, crushes them, kills them, and Unfortunately, we've done that a number of times in MRI. It may mean that the magnet interferes with an insulin pump um, or medication pump or a pacemaker or another, you know, implanted medical device causes that to malfunction, which harms the patient. Again, we've done that a number of times in MRI. Um, It could mean that we're giving the patient, you know, first degree, second degree, third degree, fourth degree burns resulting in, you know, amputation. Um, It could mean, you know, the the benign, if you want to call it that in air quotes, um, injuries involve, you know, um, uh, either temporary or permanent hearing damage, uh, hearing loss. Um, So there are all of these things that we can do to harm patients in the moment you know, that are long-term debilitating, you know, injuries, or we kill people. I mean, thankfully, very, very infrequently. Um, So for the people coming up through x-ray school, um, and, you know, kind of may take an off ramp to, to get into MRI, when it comes to an appreciation of MRI safety, if you simply start from the position of, How can the patient, how can the MR patient get harmed? And, and you just do a comparison of that, you know, with x-ray or CT or something like that, that should, that should kind of instill in anyone, everyone an appreciation for, okay, this is what the stakes are. This is, this is what my job is to try and prevent, um, when you start getting into the complexities of patients who have this kind of implant or this foreign body or that sort of thing, um, it can get really complicated really quickly. Um, and if if training programs or um, residencies for our radiologists, are, by the way, we're talking about how a lot of techs come up and, and don't necessarily have the exposure to the training for this, don't think that just because the radiologist wears a white coat, that their med school or residency program actually gave them this information either. Um, we have, we have lived in the shadow of, um, MRI safety PR campaign. Um, we have, we have marketed for the last 30 plus years. MRI is the safe modality because it doesn't have ionizing radiation. And so everybody just kind of walks around, not everybody, too many people walk around as if nothing bad can happen in MRI because we've labeled it the safe modality. Um, And it really takes, and and this is probably the hardest part, it takes unlearning the things that you have been told about why MRI is safe and we don't need to worry about it. Um, And instead, you know, learning an alternative Truth. Um, that is there are risks. There are risks that we can, in fact, effectively manage. Um, but we by and large don't train our techs or our radiologists to appreciate what those risks are and what the management approaches are.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And it's if you've been in a field anytime as technologists, we definitely amen what you just said, because we've all been in situations where we hear the door open behind us and doctors coming in or somebody's coming in with, and they haven't been screened yet, you know, and there aren't protocols placed in certain, I mean, p- places are getting better. Technologies are realizing, I mean, I did X-ray and CT for years. And I think with MR, especially when I work in a facility where they're cranking them out all the time, hospitals, and you get people with different types of implants, like every stint is not the same you know, every, I just don't, me personally, I don't consider every, some people are like, oh, it's a standard, It's been in six, eight weeks. it's good. I, I just look up everything. I've never heard anybody. And that is my goal is to, you know, just to be, to treat MRI as the modality that it is. And it is not just the safe, the safe modality. There's danger in everything. And I think if it was me on the table, I would want someone to Go to these levels and make sure that they're trained and they understand they take the time to to look up things because you never know what you know person or what company put what into each one is just not the same so mm-hmm. i love how uh Gilk radiology associates consultants is really trying to train not only technologists but to stay up to date on the things that are changing because now we're doing pacemakers and uh, you know we we talk about it in the field That I remember when they first started doing these certain type of pacemakers by maker and they were all safe, but all the doctors heard, oh, we're doing pacemakers now. And we were getting tons of people coming with older pacemakers scheduled for MRIs and we're like, no, and we literally had to get a policy in place. You know, cardiologists had to step in and really talk to the doctors that know this is not all pacemakers. (laughs) You know, everybody doesn't qualify. We're not giving away, you know, pacemaker MRIs here now. So it's an education of not only the radiology department, but the hospital itself when it comes to MRI, because you have everyone that comes to the department, nurses, families. Other, you know, they'll tour MRI departments, but the safety needs to still be there, and everybody needs to be aware of it. So I, I just love what you do, and I want to ask this question: What motivated you to tackle this topic? You talked about it a little bit, but and but not really. So not to give up. On educating the masses on MRI safety. If you have a story you'd like to tell, because I know you probably hit some roadblocks, or you know, as an architect coming into the field, <laughs> I'm sure they just didn't roll out the red carpet. They're probably like, "Who is this guy? He's not a tech," you know? Wh- what stories, or maybe they did. I don't know. I'm, I'm just you know making it a good conversation. But I, I really would like to know because we all hit roadblocks, or we don't see. Because you talked about earlier, you started this in uh, 17 years ago, and it's 2022 going to 2023, and As long as I've been doing it, I'm starting to see more people. You have the MRSO, you know, the the MRI safety officers. Those should have been in a long time ago, you know, but they weren't taking this many years to see it. Why did you never give up? Feeling like a popsicle in the hospital? Well, ditch the hospital chills. Scrubmates, a base layer designed by a healthcare professional, understands the struggles of staying warm. Keep yourself toasty and your valuables secure with convenient zipper pockets. Support a small female-owned business and try Scrubmates today. You'll get 15% off your order using my code RADTEX at checkout. Thanks, Scrubmates, for bringing us this episode of a couple of RADTEX podcasts. Now let's get into the episode.
1: Um, I think because I saw the opportunity to... to to make a positive change, um, it, there, there have been in, in my sort of professional development, there have been some folks who have really been amazing mentors and, and supported, uh, supportive of me. Um, and I got to give a shout out to Dr. Emmanuel Canal, who, um, really kind of saw some potential in me and, and helped me develop that. Um, but by and large, um, most of the radiology community, at least at first, um, treated me like the guy who drives the ice cream truck was coming up to your house and offering to do you know bypass surgery on you. you know it's like, what the hell do you know about bypass surgery? Um, what does an architect know about MRI safety policies or procedures or protocols? Um, and so, yes, no, I I I have indeed, you know, encountered quite a number of obstacles and quite a number of folks who think, you know, this guy's got no place being here. Um, and the way that I've kind of overcome that um, is <laughs> first and foremost, just a bullheaded stubbornness and and not willingness, not willing to let go. Um, but more than that, it it's really been you know keep your eye on the prize the for me that has been um identify what what steps could make this practice could make mri you know safer but not safer in a way that you know i think anybody who's worked any time in a hospital has seen somebody come through and say you know well risk now says that you know you have to spin around three times on your left foot and check these 17 boxes before you do anything to this patient. We've seen lots of, of quote unquote safety protections that are really just sort of, you know, box checking, you know, they don't really integrate with care. And, and so we develop this sense that there is is an inherent conflict between, you know, somebody's going to come along and they're going to tell me something I have to do for safety, and it's going to make patient care slower, and it's going to, you know, drag me down, and then people are going to be yelling at me because I'm not getting, you know, X number of patients through in a day. And all of that is true, and all of that, in my opinion, are examples of poorly implemented safety policies, the thing that I think most people in, in MRI safety world don't really appreciate very well is that safety today is apart from patients, simply not showing up on time for their studies. Safety is, is probably the number one, um, drag on throughput and productivity. The patient shows up, you know, oh, they didn't declare, you know, you know, prior to their appointment that they have a shrapnel or they have an implant or device or something. So we're gonna set that patient aside and we're gonna be looking them up. Meanwhile, the patient following them hasn't shown up yet. So the magnets sitting empty for 30 minutes, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, we clear that patient and now we've got two patients trying to get in one magnet in one appointment slot. And the whole thing cascades from the rest of the day onward, right? And the reason that we have throughput and productivity issues in many facilities is because we manage safety of the patients poorly. And in fact, if we improve the management of patient safety, one of the the unintended consequences is this thing that is one of the biggest bottlenecks that we can actually control begins to go away and we get better productivity out of it. Those kinds of things um, really aren't well-known and well-understood throughout the industry. You made the comparison between, you know, radiation safety and MRI safety. In radiation safety, you're going to get shut down by the state or slammed by joint commission or, or whoever your accrediting organization is. If you don't have a radiation safety officer, right? If you have a nukes program, you don't have a radiation safety officer. NRC is going to come in and they're going to pull your radioactive materials license in a heartbeat. There will not be a discussion. There won't be a, well, yes, but we were going to get to that. No conversation. They're coming in they're pulling your, your RAM license immediately and you are shut down. Why don't we have anything sort of similar, um, on, on the MR side? Um, in terms of, of accreditation or licensure or you know regulation, um, you mentioned the the MRSO uh, thing. So one of the things that that I've been involved with is the ABMRS, the American Board of Magnetic Resonance Safety. Um, it has American in the name, but really, sort of the focus is is universal. It's looking at how people get injured in MRI um, and what what practices prevent, you know, harm, patient harm, patient injury, delays in patient care related to MRI safety. And so the ABMRS, which uh, I was one of the founding board members in 2014, 2015, 2016, um, the ABMRS actually took the um, the structure that was developed by a, a an international group of professional societies, defining the MRI safety roles of the physician, the MRMD, MR medical director, um, you know, sort of MRI safety supervising physician, the MRSO, MR safety officer, which is pretty much a direct analog to a radiation safety officer. And then an MR safety expert, because a lot of the MRI safety questions really hinge on an understanding of the physics of MR scanners interaction with the patient's own tissues or with foreign bodies or implants or devices that might be there. Sometimes it's it's helpful to have the expertise of a medical physicist or somebody who has experience in that um, to be able to you know phone a friend um, and be able to give guidance to the the supervising physicians and the MRSOs to to help resolve some of those complexities because MR patients are getting much 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 more complex yes. I, I don't know people who who've just been in MR for the last 10 15 years may not be aware but I think it was about 20 years ago and longer um, when every single MR operator's manual had big, bold print disclaimers on them that essentially said, whatever you do, do not put a patient who has any foreign body, any implant of any kind, do not put that patient in this magnet, period, end of statement. Um, Now, when MR conditional implants and devices came around, Eventually, the MR manufacturers, you know, your GE's, your Philipses, your Siemens's, they they recognize that they can no longer really effectively have those absolute blanket prohibitions. So, so it's really only in the last couple of decades that the MR system manufacturers have even opened the door to the possibility of scanning patients with implants, devices, and foreign bodies today, and. It's it's weird being in the middle of this because oftentimes I think we don't appreciate just how quickly and how dramatically things have changed in this last twenty-year time frame. Um, but today, you know, doing patients with um, you know MR conditional pacemakers at some institutions that's Thursday, yeah. right? It, Twenty years ago. The idea you were going to put a patient with a pacemaker into a magnet was essentially like playing Russian roulette, you know, and nobody wanted to even contemplate doing that. And like I say, today, it's Thursdays in some facilities. Um, So the degree that we have shifted um, is really remarkable. One of the things that that means is the degree to which MR depends on hand-me-down knowledge, which is really from an MR safety standpoint, that's been the predominant model of how young techs, um, you know, radiology residents, that's kind of how they learn is they get taught by the person who trains them, who learned from the person who trained them. And it's this long series of, of hand-me-down knowledge. The the practice, the industry, the profession has changed so dramatically um, that if we don't stop, pause, and take an objective look at what is the knowledge that we're handing down to the folks who we're training today, we need to break the cycle of handing down information, knowledge, training that is substantially out of date with the MRI system technology and the implants and devices and the changes in our patient populations and cohort and the, you know, introduction of, you know, image guided um, procedures and that sort of thing. Everything about MRI, apart from the fact that the shape of the magnets, that's really the only thing that's remained consistent over the last 20 years everything around it has changed from reimbursement rates to staffing to you know clinical applications of of mr we need to not necessarily throw out everything we learned before but we need to to be able to stop and look at current practice objectively
0: and i think that's important because things change that's just that's just like things change and we have to change with it and right Patients have changed, like you said. So really, really quickly, where do you see the the modality advancing? Because so many advances with AI and everything. What do you see?
1: Um, so one of the things that, that I'm looking at right now that I think could be a real game changer in terms of, you know, making MR practice 10 years, 20 years from now look substantially different from the way it does now um, is remote operation. Um, so, uh, well, I'll do remote operation and AI. Um, so remote operation, um, today, if you have a technical problem, you know, with your magnet, you know, you're getting an artifact that you can't explain, or you got, you know, you think maybe a coil element is, is out, or you can essentially pick up the phone and call whoever your magnet manufacturer is, if you're under a service contract and a service person can essentially, you know, remote into your console and see exactly what you see, you know, from doing a patient or doing a phantom or whatever. And that's, that is growing that the technology for somebody remotely to come into your system has existed for the last 10, 15 years. Um, but today, all of the MR system manufacturers are commercializing products that essentially allow a technologist located off-site um, to essentially run your MR scanner for you. Um, and, and there are really kind of two models for doing that. One is you have a complex patient, you know, um, We're going to do a, a cardiac study, and we've got kind of a junior tech who's not really, all up to speed on doing cardiac. Well, that's okay. Cause we got a tech at the other site, you know, across town who is a whiz at cardiac. We're gonna get Tim across town to essentially, you know remote in and run this study, you know and then Tim's gonna go back and take care of his patients and at, at his other location and whoever, you know Susan who's, who's doing the scan locally, will take over after that. So that sort of expert model, we're gonna have somebody come in, execute a single study, go away, Operations return to normal, um, but that means for that study you're essentially paying the salary of two techs for to do a single study, right? So the expert model comes with additional costs. What if instead we had Tim working remotely at some sort of air traffic control center, right? And Tim is you know running MRI scans, maybe two or in some cases I've heard you know three or four magnets, um, you know, running those simultaneously, or, you know, so kind of interleaved as one patient gets off the table, they're scanning at a different patient. Um, That full remote operational model um, really throws from a safety standpoint, it puts everything on its head. Um, Because if you look at, at safety best practice documents like the ACR 2020 manual on MR safety. And the ACR is talking about um, releasing a new version of this um, very shortly. Um, But if you look at that and you look at all of the safety thou shalts, right, that are kind of built into that document, they all assume implicitly or explicitly that it's the scanning tech who is taking responsibility for double-checking the patient's screening form, making sure the patient is positioned correctly, the correct coil selection, padding for the patient. Do we have MR conditional you know, leads for our EKG, for our cardiac gating? All of those sorts of things, those responsibilities are ascribed to the, the scanning MR tech. What happens when that scanning MR tech is across town and now we have a tech aide who is providing that care at the point of care. Um, we don't really have systems that describe how that's supposed to happen. So with the really significant rebound uptick in demand for MR services post-COVID, anybody who was tracking this, you know, we were slowly growing year over year, COVID came, demand for MR just fell off a cliff um and what happens to all of those hospitals when mr demand falls off a cliff they let a bunch of mr techs go right well now all of a sudden we find ourselves in what we describe as a you know kind of post covid world and mr volumes are just whipsaw you know returning not back to where they were before but on their way there and now these um, these hospitals no longer have sufficient MR techs to be able to do this. There is a massive labor crunch um, in in M- MR techs, and so remote operation seems like it's um, it's one of the ways to address that that crunch because we're not also not seeing uh, trainees entering MR training programs in sufficient numbers to essentially make up for the techs who got. Lost, you know, because they left the profession during COVID. Um, so remote operation is is one of the potential solutions. AI is a complicating factor. Um, there are a very limited number of studies, but there are studies today that you know we can put a patient on the table and 15 minutes later, you know, their study's done. They're walking out. Um, with ai or the promise of ai um being able to do you know reconstructions um you know behind the scenes be able to you know you run one sequence and it essentially gives you the visuals for two or three or five you know different pulse sequences um reducing total exam time um you know Doing automatic, you know, slice selection, you know, angulation and slice selection, you know, based on AI tools so the tech doesn't have to spend an extra 60 seconds, you know, setting up this individual um, set of slices. All of those things hold the promise of taking standard 40-minute, you know, appointment times for MR. We're not going to get down to CT, you know, 12-minute, you know, 15-minute patient times, but we're going to get close and all of the infrastructure uh, associated with bringing patients to MR, getting them through MR, and discharging them on the backside. What about all of that infrastructure that was designed for 40 minute appointments when those appointments become 20 minutes? Um, you know, you think we have productivity and throughput pressures now when your scanner promises to do that study and half the time it does right now you think the C-suite is not going to be, you know, putting patients on a conveyor belt to run them into, to MR. Um, They absolutely are. Um, So that presents sort of its own safety problem, particularly when we couple it with the remote operation, you know, full-on remote operation. Technologically MR crystal ball gazing um, has, has a, a, for me personally, an incredible history of me being wrong more often than I'm not than I'm <laughs> right. But if we just look at the direction that the technology, the, the MR scanner technology is moving, um the changes that are afoot that respond to absolute real, you know, clinical and operational, you know, customer hospital demand needs, um, those things are going to create. Follow on, you know MRI safety concerns. Um, That really worries me because we don't have a good grasp on, you know, uh, MRI safety throughout our profession. You know, across all of the different hospitals, there absolutely are hospitals that are doing amazing jobs, and I don't mean to suggest that everybody is really struggling because there are some folks who are doing amazing, amazing work. Right. It is. It is so unequal. It is so. Whereas oh,
0: radiation, radiation is across the board, like you say, it's a, MRI, nuclear medicine is across the board. Radiation, right. all of those are across the board. So MR is not. And I've worked in several different states, you know, in several different type of facilities, and it's not, you know, so I definitely agree with you on that.
1: Yeah. So so I think I think the next 10 years are going to be really challenging for MRI um, um, from a safety standpoint. A, some amazing, mind-blowing technological innovations. Um, But most of the technological innovations from from stronger magnets to more powerful gradients to better active shielding, which compresses the magnetic field, which means higher um, spatial gradients of the attractive force component of the magnetic field. All of these technological innovations that have made magnets Stronger, better, produce more images, higher quality images, faster. Those sorts of things. Each and every one of those innovations comes with a downstream safety implication, um, and the AI and you know remote operations ones uh, come with some really huge downstream safety implications. Um, my concern is that if we if we fail to be proactive enough. Um, if if we try and play catch up with these changes that that I imagine are coming, um we're going to take what today just trying to get to uniform, safe practice um with with today's technology and today's operation, five years from now, you know, we may be staring up a very steep cliff in, in terms of how do we get from where we are now to where we want to be
0: that's why guilt radiology consultants is so great because you you're here to help us not have to try to play catch up and i think it's very important to i just am a believer in having outside eyes look in whenever you're trying to it's good just like we like to get patient surveys done to see where we can do better in hospitals i think right. it's really good that you don't have any connection to x-ray school or radiology school or anything like that Their your outside eyes and your perspective coming in is actually very beneficial and can help us to you know put together working together we can accomplish so much more and you know i just i know globally you do a lot so can you tell us briefly like globally when it comes to mri safety what are some of the differences that you've seen or maybe similarities from the states
1: yeah um I'll start with the similarities. So um, in my experience, every country, for the most part, um, really sort of, they fall victim to the, you know, MRI is the safe modality. MRI doesn't have ionizing radiation, therefore it must be safe. That that over-reductive simplification of uh, describing MRI safety that I think has, has gone viral. I think that's that's everywhere. Um, there are some countries um, that are taking active steps to try and, and implement um, um, MRI safety requirements. Um, Italy um, passed legislation, I, uh, this was probably two or three years ago, um, that, from what I understand, because um, I don't read Italian. Um, it's It's aspirational in terms of saying we want to establish, you know rules or structures that reduce the risks um, uh, for MRI. It doesn't really lay out what those rules or structures are um, in in a lot of detail. Um, but it's to the best of my knowledge, it's the first sort of national law that or, or national initiative. Um, that that seeks to um, push practice um, towards towards safer elements. Um, closer to home in the US, um, the US FDA, for the longest time, um, didn't require implant or device manufacturers to um, to get MR conditional labeling unless they wanted to market the product as being safe in MR. You want to make claims about the safety for MR, you have to get MR conditional labeling. Well, the proliferation of implants and devices in our patients, pretty much anything you put in anybody at this point is likely to wind up in a magnet or that patient's going to get referred for an MR. Um, And so only very recently, the US FDA has been It's, it's not a formal rule, as I understand it, it's, it's sort of an administrative procedure, but they are pushing implant and device manufacturers to indeed, you know, get testing and labeling for, you know, identifying the, the safe conditions for use in, in MR. Um, Now, obviously we have an enormous backlog, a historic legacy of implants, devices that, that you know, weren't compelled to do that. And it will probably take a very long time before we tip the scales and and the majority of of implants and devices have this labeling, but it's a start. It's a move in in the right direction. Um, So there are small sort of isolated success stories um, or or positive developments, Um, but by and large, um, you know, internationally, MRI safety regulation um, is is pretty weak. I will um, I will throw out a a kudos. um, The Ministry of Health in Saudi Arabia actually is developing, has developed a a safety checklist um, that um, they're now using at government um, MRI facilities. Um, that is really remarkable. Quite honestly, it blows the stuff that, you know, Joint Commission and ACR, blows the stuff that they're doing out of the water. Um, So we are beginning to see, you know, sort of sprinkled uh, across the globe, um, organizations, you know, national structures beginning to address this. Um, And I'm hoping that that, those efforts continue and become sort of more uniform and cohesive, um, internationally. Um, and so that the, the smart stuff that, that we know reduces accidents, reduces injuries, you know, uh, increases and improves patient access whether that's you know advanced mri safety training um, whether that's certification for you know the, the these various mr safety roles whether it's the development of policies and procedures that really reflect international best practices from from a safety standpoint hopefully we begin to see more and more of that really as i say become you know uniform standard uh, throughout our profession
0: Well, I believe with all the work that Gilk Radiology Consultants has been doing over the years, we see what is happening in the field and everybody working together. I know that it is going to just go up from here. So I want to thank you so much, but I know you just finished hosting a three three day event in Dubai. If you know, how can people work with Gilk Radiology Consultants and what do you have upcoming?
1: Uh Um, So. So my consulting work really kind of uh, uh, breaks into three categories. Um, You mentioned the course. So I do trainings, um, that was a, you come to the training. Um, um, I also work with facilities where I essentially bring training to the facilities, to the techs, to the rads, to both. I will do facility consulting um, where I will essentially come in and uh, do, you know, analysis, evaluations of operations and policy, um, um, how effectively or ineffectively in some cases, you know, facilities manage MRI safety questions or concerns. Um, um, and again, the safety Bottleneck is one of the biggest delay, delay errors um, in patient care, um, and it has some really significant, you know, downstream revenue um, implications. So fixing MRI safety often collaterally means fixing patient throughput, fixing some of the revenue-related things. So I can do those uh, facility assessments, evaluations, either separate from or in conjunction with, you know, on-site training. Um, And then the third thing that I do through the consulting arm is I do um, uh, sort of manufacturer uh, types of of consulting or or even some expert witness stuff Um, where, for example, one of my longstanding relationships right now is with a company called Metrosense. Metrosense makes ferromagnetic detection systems, and I work with them on... Um, the integration of ferromagnetic detection systems, both architecturally, you know, where do we want to put them? How do we want to lay out the suite? How is the function supposed to be captured in, in the design of this MRI facility, but then, you know, also sort of education and operation, um, models of, you know, what do people really need to know about how to integrate this with, you know, their model of operation? how is an outpatient imaging center going to use these products differently than a level one trauma center? Um, Because there are going to be some real significant functional differences that need to be to get the most out of those products or services. um, You really need to kind of tweak your operational model, your policies um, to to take full advantage of these products or services. Um, And then I also... Uh, do some, some expert witness consulting, you know, when things go badly in MR, Um, you know, uh, I hate to do that kind of work because that means somebody screwed up pretty badly. Um, And oftentimes somebody got hurt or something got damaged. Um, But it's, it's an important piece to kind of help clean up our messes. Um, In addition to the proactive stuff of, of trying to, you know, make make things better as we go forward.
0: Well, this is amazing. Thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast i've been uh, watching you for my twenty years in the field, and uh, it's been it's been a pleasure to see what you 've done and to finally get to talk to you and hear from you what it is that you do for our community. We are the third largest medical profession in the nation, and mRI is growing as you have said, and we want to bring safety not only to the patients but for technologists as well. I think that's one of the pieces that we forget about is keeping the technologists safe and everybody in that room, everybody walking to those different zones. And we have to educate ourselves and we have to all work together uh, and continue to grow because technology is growing. People are changing for good and for bad health-wise. So we have to be able to take care of not only our patients, but ourselves too. So thank you, Mr. Gilk, for joining us today on Let's Chit Chat, radiology edition of Wellness and Travel. You guys, please check out Mr. Gilk's Uh, links. You'll find them in the description, Uh, gain more insight, gain more knowledge of what he does and what he not only does for the radiology community, uh, but an architect as well. I mean, just, we can all learn from each other. And again, thank you for your time. And thank Thank you you for the time to listen to this podcast. Please leave a review and have a wonderful day. I hope you enjoyed this podcast today. Thank you so much for listening. This is just one of the many free resources I offer to my clients to dump unhealthy habits and begin living. Be sure to visit my website for more free resources and health coaching. Again, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with others so they can join the Let's Chit Chat podcast. Have a great day, you guys. See you next episode.